You're listening to the Elevate Main Podcast. To learn more about Elevate, visit our website at www.elevate.org.ph. We hope you enjoy today's talk. I met Dick, my husband, at 16. We got together five years later and married soon after. I already knew about his gambling issues even before marriage, but decided to overlook them. Growing up in a family of politicians, he pursued a political career in their town. I gave up a city life for the role of a politician's wife. Soon after, I realized the realities of our marriage and who he truly was. He spent most of the time in cockpits, gambling venues, and bars with his friends. Feeling alone, I returned to my parents' house with our firstborn, and he would visit on weekends. He achieved this dream by winning three consecutive elections. However, I observed that high, the higher he climbed the political ladder, the stronger temptations became. He was exposed to big-time gambling and womanizing, which changed him significantly. Having a father as the mayor of our town in 2001 allowed me to freely enjoy gambling, cockfighting, high-stakes card games, women, and drinking. When I entered politics and served two terms as town councilor, I was determined not to let married life affect my lifestyle. In 2010, I succeeded my father as mayor and took my role seriously. However, I soon grew bored and wanted to hang out with my friends. Except this time, our gambling and, uh, our gambling and womanizing became even more intense. Money came easy, and within two years of my term, we obtained loans for an expensive house, bought a condo, cars, and had savings in the bank. As the next elections approached, I surprised my wife by informing her that I, that I wouldn't seek re-election. I was confused, exhausted, and questioning my purpose in life. Without much thought, I suggested my aging father run instead while I dealt with my personal issues. Until my father lost leaving me without a plan or business. From that point on, things went downhill. I turned to more gambling, believing I could maintain our lifestyle until the next election, when I could run again. However, I was mistaken, and I suffered a heavy defeat in 2016. Our situation worsened. After letting go of most of our properties, I entered in the construction business, where I met a woman with connections to secure government projects. Eventually, I became involved with her. Within a little over a year, we lost everything. I continued gambling, and our family was heading towards a messy, lonely, and soon-to-be broken state. I was devastated when I discovered my husband's affair and realized we were deeply in debt, leading to the loss of our properties. He apologized for his infidelity, promising to end the affair. Despite forgiving him, the affair persisted. Arguments and confrontations become a regular occurrence. So I decided to end our relationship. My brother-in-law and his wife convinced us to attend a marriage retreat. I was initially hesitant and uninterested, making excuses as I believed our marriage was beyond repair. By the grace of God, we overcame various obstacles and attended the retreat in Baguio. Pastor Danny and Ate Don served as speakers and we received counseling from them afterwards. They also welcomed us in their Thursday D group, which became a blessing as we became a part of a close-knit spiritual family. While I focused on growing in my relationship with God, my husband continued to lead a double life. He, while attending church and Bible studies on some days, my husband would engage in gambling and womanizing on other days. As he distanced himself further from his family and from God, I prayed fervently. Forgiving my husband became a struggle, especially when the other women would send me their conversations and pictures together. At times, the pain was unbearable, and even I sought legal advice. Thankfully, I had a support group who prayed for me and encouraged me to stay focused on God, God's will, and not give up on our marriage. I stopped confronting and arguing with my husband, choosing instead to pray for him. 
I learned that I couldn't change him and only God has the power to transform him. I embrace the concept of surrender, striving each day to be gentle and calm despite the uncertainties surrounding me, trusting that God was in control. When the pandemic came, I found myself confined like everyone else for the first time. During this time, the Lord impressed upon me that he was granting me a fresh start. But it required obedience and sincere repentance on my part. I was called to study his word and live a life that brought him pleasure. I began to cherish the moments with my wife and children, engaging in family devotions and embracing the ample time available for reflection and meditation. God's promises became clear to me. And within the first year of the pandemic, I completed reading the Bible. Also, losing two brothers in Christ from our D group during this period opened my eyes to how fleeting life is. Their life of selflessness and wholehearted service to the Lord inspired me. By the following year, I knew that the Lord has changed me. Struggles and temptations were easier to resist and dismiss. Above all, I had an overwhelming desire not to offend my Creator, for I felt His abundant love. I prayed fervently for transformation in both of us, and God indeed makes His mighty wonders. When camping operation resumed across the country, my husband no longer set foot in any of those establishments. While many businesses struggled during the pandemic, our construction business thrived. Our construction business thrived. We were able to recover our pond properties and gradually paid off all our debts. God consistently provided for our needs without any fail. Most importantly, my husband ended the affair. As an added blessing, God made a way for him to re-enter public service last year. During moments of pain and failure, I now understand that God allowed these experiences to humble me. He wanted me to return to him and surrender everything. His love for me and my wife is so immense that he would not allow the devil to destroy our family. I now have dedicated my life to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because he alone can grant genuine joy, peace, and contentment. He has restored and deepened my relationship with my wife, and my love for her grows each day. Our children are also experiencing the benefits of this transformation. To share God's story in our lives, my wife and I have shared our testimonies at retreats and facilitated small groups at marriage seminars. Also, we started leading our own D-group and have been counseling couples who are facing similar challenges in their marriages. We've been entrusted the role of being lead coordinators for the inseparable marriage retreat scheduled for September 29 to October 1 at MMRC. We also have begun distributing Bibles and sharing God's word in the community. While we know our journey to Christ's likeness is still ongoing, I am forever grateful and indebted to God alone. Our divine calling is clear to be instruments of reconciliation in relationships and to spread the goodness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am Dick Omali. I am Ingrid Omali. Once disobedient and stubborn, now fervent followers and servants of our Lord Jesus Christ. To God be the glory. Praise God. Praise God. Let's uh, ask uh, Danny. Why don't you come and Don? You are the D group leader, right? So let's pray for them and for Danny. Were you blessed? Yes. Praise God. Okay, so... I was warning my brother Dick here and Ingrid, every time you give a testimony, you will be doubly attacked. So you all need to pray for them. Because temptation will not go away. In fact, it will increase. So guys, we are partners together. If you don't mind, stand up, raise your right hand. Let's pray for them, all right? Father God in heaven, I want to praise you and thank you for all that you have done in the life of Dick and Ingrid. Thank you that somehow in your amazing grace and mercy, you reach out and touch the life of Dick, how you have restored him. I now pray that you continue to protect him, give him a humble heart, and above all, to always pursue holiness, which is really our calling, and help Ingrid to also be the best supporting wife that can be. 
Thank you for Danny and for Don for their patience and their faithfulness in discipling this couple. And now I pray for the work and ministry that you have impressed upon Dick. I pray you guard his family, you guard his business, but above all, guard his personal walk. We pray for special protection from the evil one. And bless this family, Lord. Use him as salt and light, especially as he lead that place for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless. We start a new series starting this month. What's the name of our series? Well, what's wrong with us? Okay. Can you ask your neighbor, what's wrong with you? <laughs> what's wrong with us? Okay. Now, the reality is there is always something wrong with you and with me. Amen. However, the best book that will address What's wrong with us is the book of 1 Corinthians. Do you know why? The book of 1 Corinthians is a book that addresses the Christians at Corinth. How many of you have heard of the word Corinthian? Raise your hand. Now, do you know what that word means? See, many of us don't understand the significance of the word Corinthian. In the time of the Apostle Paul, that word simply means totally immoral. You are not able to control your sexual appetite. Such is the city of Corinth. The city of Corinth is a port city. It's a major trade center. Above all, there are so many temples, one of which is Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And every night, you have 1,000 temple prostitutes that will roam around the city. You, therefore, you, you will not be surprised when the men are very religious. They'll tell their wife, I'm going to worship. Can you imagine? Worship plus sex. How can you go wrong with that kind of attitude? That was in such the, con the context of that place is now where the book of Corinthians was written. Because the Apostle Paul, by the grace of God, planted an amazing church. Corinth is like our modern city today. It's like uh, Makari. It's like uh, Las Vegas, San Francisco, New York combined. Money, pleasure, and they are famous for the Ismian Olympic contest every two years. That is only second to the Olympic. So it is an amazing city. Port city, business center, religious center, philosophical center. Such is the book of Corinth. It is addressing what? Believe it or not, immorality. It is addressing lawsuit, Christians suing each other. It is addressing incest. It is addressing church division, family division. It is addressing all kinds of problems. So would you like to know how to solve problems? All right. Such is the book of 1 Corinthians. Are you ready to learn? All right. The most problematic New Testament church is the church at Corinth. So today I want to share with you we will focus on one particular problem. Everybody, read our topic today. Resolve conflict in truth and love. Of all the problems, surprisingly or not surprisingly, the Apostle Paul started by addressing the problem of division, conflict. How many of you are experiencing relational conflict today? or this week, or this month, you have relational conflict. Will you raise your hands? Higher. You see, most of us have relational conflict. Some of you are afraid to raise your hand because you are beside your loved ones, right? <laughs> but you know what? I have good news for you. There's a solution. So, 
How do you solve relational conflict? Three big ideas. First Corinthians chapter 1. Number one, you must develop divine perspective. Say that with me. Develop divine perspective. In other words, you got to see life from the biblical perspective. How God sees things. If not, you'll be totally discouraged. You will lose hope. Number two, address the root problem. Many times, we want to be nice to people. But we do not know how to balance love with truth. Therefore, you need to learn how to address the root problem. Develop divine perspective. Number two, address the root problem. And lastly, you got to focus on Jesus. No other solution. Are you ready? Let's start with the first principle, divine perspective, all right? Divine perspective means what? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Everybody, turn to your Bibles, if you don't mind. i like us to read, but since I spoil you, I will show you the Bible verses, but it would be nice if you can open your Bibles and underline certain verses. Are we ready? All right. It was read already, but I'm going to read again. Everybody, together. Paul, called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and sustenance, our brother. Right from the start, the apostle Paul has to establish his authority. He's saying, I am, what? An apostle. The word apostle simply means, I am a representative. I'm sent out by none other than God himself to establish his authority of Jesus Christ by the will of God. This is so crucial. Paul is saying, I don't belong to the Baptists. I don't belong to the Catholic. I don't belong to the Lutherans. I am sent by God. Are we clear? Next, he tells us, now sustenance is one of his uh, partners. If you read Acts, he was probably one of the leaders in the synagogue that got converted. Okay, so sustenance is one of the first convert in Corinth. Let's read the next verse. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. You will notice Paul, right from the start, begins with the truth. What is God's perspective when it comes to the Corinthian believers? Notice how Paul described them from God's perspective. First, to the church of God. The word church is from the word ecclesia. Ecclesia simply means what? A community of special called out people. The church of God. Everybody, what is the meaning of the word church? Ecclesia means what? You are special called out. So, if Paul were to write the letter today to CCF, he will say, to the ecclesia, to the church that meets in Ortigas Center. You understand? You are special people. The church of God. Located where? In Corinth. Now, notice how they are described. Number one, they are described as what? Those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus. Number two, saints by calling everybody. I want to teach you some theology. These guys are sinners. But after coming to Jesus, Paul tells them, you know how God looks at you? This is how you are described. You are described, number one, as what? Sanctified. Number two, you are described as what? Saints. And number three, you are part of the church of God. Now, let me share with you those simple three Greek words, okay? Look at the Greek word. Church of God means what? Ecclesia. Sanctified is from the Greek word hagiatso. This is a past perfect tense verb. Meaning, once upon a time, you are a sinner, but once you come to Christ, the Bible describes you as what? Sanctified. Wow. Set apart for God. And then God calls them what? Saints. Saints are not dead people. They're living people. Why is this so important? I want you guys to know something. 
When God looks at you, He does not see you as you are. He sees what you can become in Christ. Let me repeat. When we see people, we judge them based on their past. But when God looks at you, He sees what you and I can become in Christ. Look, folks, the truth is this. Christians are messy people. The church of God is composed of sinners. And in CCF, the only qualified people to come here are sinners, saved by grace. There was a guy who was complaining about his church. He was telling the pastor, you know, I've been to so many churches, and I'm here now in your church because I'm looking for the perfect church. You know what the pastor told him? Please, don't join our church because our church will not be perfect the moment you join us. My friend, there is no perfect church. There is no perfect family. We are messy people. So right from the start, you got to a biblical perspective. If you are afraid of problems, you get to know something. God loves to save messy, problematic people. Can you tell your neighbor, God loves you? Can I tell you something? God loves you as you are. But because he loves you, he will not allow you to remain as you are. Let me repeat. God loves you as is where is. He died for you. But because he loves you, he will not allow you to remain as you are. God is always at work. He will use people. He will use problems. He will use sickness. He will use financial, all kinds of difficulty. Why? Because God wants us to be transformed. So how are we called in the eyes of God? We are called saints. Can you turn to your neighbor, tell your neighbor, you are a saint. Therefore, may I suggest something? Therefore, act like a saint. Tell your neighbor, you're a saint. Therefore, act like one. Okay? Tagalogin nga natin, santo ka pala. Santo. Alright? You are a saint. So, act like one. Notice the grammar. Have been sanctified. Past perfect tense. Completely forgiven because of Jesus. The problem is this. While well, I am forgiven, but my life right now may not reflect sainthood. And that's the reality of the Christian life. What God has done for you and how you are living today many times do not match. And that is the journey of the Christian life. But you got to know theology. In the eyes of God, you are a saint. How much you believe in the eyes of God, you are a saint? Raise your hand. <laughs> I'm telling you now. In the eyes of God, if you have repented of your sin and you have trusted Jesus, are you a saint? Yes or no? Yes. Louder, are you a saint? Yes. Therefore, please live like one. Live like one. Tell your neighbor one more time. You are a saint. Live like a saint. Okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Divine perspective. I thank my God always concerning you. These are the Corinthians. For the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus. Christians, we are recipients of the grace of God. What is the meaning of the word grace? Grace means what? Undeserved favor. You are the recipient of God's grace. Undeserved favor. Not only that. In everything you were enriched in Him in all speech and all knowledge. These Corinthians, not only were they recipients of God's grace, they were recipients of God's gift. You know, there are over 20 plus Spiritual gifts listed in the Bible. Healing, knowledge, love, leadership. Do you understand? All kinds of spiritual gifts. And the Bible is saying the Corinthians, man, they were enriched with the spiritual gifts. Except there's a problem. They're the most problematic church in the New Testament. In other words, you can come to know Jesus 
and your life is still a bit messy. You know why? Because we are all progressing towards Christ-likeness. Amen? Amen? So can you please be patient with each other? But please, I tell my friend, okay? Is God patient with us? Yes. Yeah, but please, don't abuse God's patience. You know why? Because God's patience has limitation. Are you aware of that? My quiet time the other day, Proverbs 29. A man who hardens his neck. In Tagalog, kumatigas ang lig natin, stubborn, it will be broken beyond remedy. You know, when I read that, natakot ako. A man who hardens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. And since I've been in this ministry for many years, I have seen people that was broken beyond remedy. So God is gracious, but in His grace, don't abuse His grace. Are we clear? All right. Let's read the next verse. You know, look at verse 6, okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 6 first, all right? Let's read verse 6 together. Even as the testimony concerning Christ Jesus was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking any gift, which one, which I told you about, awaiting eagerly for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ. He gave the following descriptions about Christians in this verse. Description number one, okay? They are gifted, okay? They are, they are gifted. Description number two, they are awaiting eagerly for the coming of Jesus. It's amazing. Christians are supposed to be eagerly waiting for the coming of Jesus. Number three, they are described as what? God will confirm you to the end. It is God who will complete the work in your life. Everybody read, blameless in the day of Christ. So the Bible is telling us God is always at work in your life today. So to have developed divine, to have divine perspective, you must see people not as they are, but what they can become in Christ. Because God is always at work. Let me give an example. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When we say grace, look at this, look at the Corinthians. What were they once upon a time? Do you not know, everybody read, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, premarital sex, any kind of sex, outside marriage, fornication, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, married people having sex outside, that's adultery, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. You know, I was in the Philippine Congress two times this year, addressing the Congress. In humility, I said, the one that is determining our behavior, what is right or what is wrong, I submit to all of you, it is not us deciding. It is God. God made us. And I said, if you pass this bill, the soggy bill, you will now make it a criminal for us to preach the Bible. So I said, please, don't pass such a bill. The truth is this. There's a spiritual battle going on today. Nothing new under the sun. In the time of the Apostle Paul, homosexuality, lesbianism, adultery, it's practice all over the place. Nothing new. Continue. Thieves. Covetous. Oh. Covetous. Ano po ibig sabihin ng covetous? Tagalog. Ito. Saan si ito? Magaling sa Tagalog yan. Oh. Ito. Anong, anong ibig sabihin ng covetous? Oh, ito, I'll teach you. Swapang. Okay, greedy. 
covetous, drunkards, oh, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. Be careful when you borrow money and you don't plan to pay back. That's a swindler. Will inherit the kingdom of God. So these are the kind of people that the Corinthians were once upon a time. Sinners like you, like me. However, look at the next verse. Such were some of you. Everybody read now. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the amazing thing about the grace of God. It doesn't matter what you have done. Once you come to Jesus in humble repentance, you know what he promised you? Look. Jesus? You were washed. All your sins washed away. What else? Sanctified. You are made holy. Wow. What else? You were justified. So I submit to you. People ask me, can I continue in sin and be a Christian? Have you ever asked that question? Can I continue living in sin and be a Christian? You know what's my answer? The only person that can answer you is you and God. You know why? Because it gives you a warning. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Present tense. Those who practice such things, remember, it says here, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is that clear? So a lifestyle of sin is very clear. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. But what if you fall into sin? Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. If you fall into sin, is God ready to forgive you? Yeah. You humble yourself, you repent. However, if you choose to continue a lifestyle of sin, you have to ask yourself, do I really know Jesus? You have to ask yourself. I don't judge you, but I warn you. Anybody who claims to be a Christian, and who chooses to live in sin, as far as the Bible is concerned, if your lifestyle is a lifestyle of sin, it only means two things. Number one, you are not a real Christian. Or number two, judgment is awaiting you because either you are ignorant or you have been deceived. Are we clear? How do we go to heaven? We go to heaven by grace because of Jesus. Not because of good works. Good works will never save you. Look at me. I will never be good enough to enter heaven. I know that. Up to today, I will never be good enough. You know why? I'm a human being. I'm a sinner. But God is amazing. Because of Jesus, what happened to my sin? Everybody? All washed. And because my sins are all washed away, my desire is no longer to sin. You see the difference? I'm still tempted. But can I tell you something? Every time I fall into sin, I feel miserable. What about you? When you fall into sin, do you feel good or do you feel miserable? You know why you feel miserable? You know why? Because you are saved. You have Christ. Now, how can I be sure? How can you be sure? Well, God gives you a promise. Look at Philippians 1.6. God is at work. Everybody read this. I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will what? Will perfect it. So God has begun a good work in the life of the Corinthians. And God is at work in your life. Is God at work in your life today? All right. So ladies and gentlemen, fellow sinners saved by grace, I'm not going to call you sinners anymore. I'm going to call you saints. Fellow saints, are you happy? That God has forgiven us with, for all our sins? Yes or no? Yes. All right. Hallelujah. Now, may I advise you? Because you are a saint. Please, live like a saint. Okay? So can you look at your neighbor? Please, live like a saint. Okay? Run away from sin. You alone knows your weaknesses. You know your temptations. Amen? So run away from temptations. God sees you. He loves you as you are. 
but because he loves you, he will not let you remain as you are. So divine perspective is to learn to see your loved ones, not as they are, but what they can become in Christ. Therefore, as your pastor, as a disciple of many pastors, I don't lose hope. When I see people struggling, you know why I don't lose hope? Because I don't see you as you are. Honestly, I see you based on what you can become in Christ. Learn to see others. Not as they are today, but what they can become in Christ. Hallelujah. Tell your neighbor, you are a saint. Okay? You are a saint. So live like one. Number two, address the root problem. What is the root problem? Here is the root problem, all right? Let us look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 to 11. What is the root problem? By the way, if you don't address the root problem, you'll be addressing what? Superficial problem. And you know, many of us are so afraid to discuss root problem. You know why? Because you and I need each other to help us grow. You know, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, 11. Everybody read. Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, he begins by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the secret of solving problems. But I'll explain that later on. Everybody read that you all agree. There be no division. Among you, you'll be made complete in the same mind, in the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren. Notice he calls them brethren. They are believers. By close people that there are quarrels among you. You know, that word quarrel is a very interest, interesting word. That word, strife, quarrel, is a description of a piece of cloth. And you tear it up. That's how serious it is. You guys are tearing each other apart. What does he mean? Read the next verse. What is their problem? Everybody read. No, I mean this. Each one of you saying, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. And I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you. Was he? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? You see what happened to this church? It has divided, split into four groups. Church split. The worst kind of sin. Why? Look, one group says, I am of Paul. You know this group? You know what they're claiming? Paul was the one who evangelized the Corinthians. So they're saying, kami, original kami. Paul. Another group. Ah, I am of Apollos. Who is Apollos? Apollos came after Paul. Apollos is, an, is a very dynamic teacher. Acts chapter 18. So some group like the style of Apollos. Ah, no, no, no. We are from Apollos. Another group. Now, who is Cephas? That's the word for Peter. You know what they're saying? You guys are Paul? Apollos, sorry. Come in. Original, original disciple of Jesus. Ah, I am of Peter. The next group, this is the most dangerous. You know why they think they're the most spiritual? Sorry, we are of Christ. Now, what's the problem? The problem is this. Apollos, Paul, Cephas, they are not quarreling among themselves. It's the followers. Do you know sometimes... You may not realize this. Our problem is we are man-centered. We have this habit of giving our loyalty to leaders. Ah, ako, I was baptized by Danny or Kiko. Loyalist ako ni Danny. Ah, kami, no. Ano ako, kay Marty. We are the young ones. Kayo, mga senior kayo. Is it possible this will happen here? That's why you got to address the problem. How do you address the problem? 
Well, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, speak the truth in love. Let's read Ephesians chapter 4, 15. Everybody read. Speaking the truth in love. You are to grow up in all aspects into like Jesus. Okay? Notice truth and love. The problem with many of us, if you just focus on truth, it can be painful the way you correct people. But if you don't focus on truth, but I love love love. You know, love 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 love. You know, love love love. You know, if you just focus on love, what will happen? You neglect truth. So how do you balance the two? That's where maturity comes in. All right? So, ladies and gentlemen, how do you help somebody? Example, you see somebody living in sin. Option one, you keep quiet. Because they're your friend. If you correct them, they'll get angry at you. Do you have such people? They don't want you to correct them? So, some of us, you don't address the root problem. You know what you do? You keep quiet. By keeping quiet, you are sinning. You know why? Because you are not addressing the sin of your brothers, your sisters. Let me repeat. You can pretend there's no problem. It's called denial. Philippine style of resolving conflict. What about Philippine style? Chinese style? Asian style? What is our style when it comes to conflict resolution? Hmm? We deny. We sweep it under the rug. And you are hoping against hope it will go away. Am I correct? Somebody told me problems, relationship problems are like toothache. By ignoring it, it will not go away. You've got to address it. Apostle Paul addressed it. He said, you guys have a problem. You are dividing the church. You've got to address the problem. You know, years ago, I was told by my brother-in-law, who is a doctor, he said, something is wrong with your muscle. Remember? I never addressed that problem. You know why? I had no pain. But he is an expert. He's a neurologist. He's a neurosurgeon. He looked at my body. He said, something is wrong with your shoulder. I never bothered for 10 years. You know why? I had no pain. Until I realized I'm becoming weak. The problem is my nerve is dying. And if your nerve is dying, it will affect your muscle. But you see, because there's no pain, I did not address the issue. It was not serious. But praise God, I eventually went to see a doctor, and my doctor scared me to death. She was my classmate. She said, you know, one day you can no longer move. So because doctor, 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 what shall I do? You see what am I saying? Until you realize division is a serious problem, you will not address it. Until you realize problems, sinful problems, you have to address it. You have to resolve it. If not, you will just let it pass by. So may I advise for CCFers, we all need one another. We need to help each other. When you see somebody okay, encouraging division, encouraging strife within, don't remain silent. Deal with the issue. Let me share with you some important verses that I hope will encourage you, all right? Look at the heart of Jesus. In John chapter 17, let's read that together. This is the heart of Jesus. Let's read this together. Jesus, this was his last prayer before he died on the cross. This was his last sermon, last prayer. Let's read his last prayer. I do not ask on behalf of this alone, but for those who believe in me through their word. He's now praying for the future generation of believers. He's praying for us. He said, I'm not asking for this alone, for my disciples alone. I'm asking for those who will believe in me through their word. Okay? Future generation. Everybody read. That they may all be one. Even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. For what purpose? God wants us to be united. So that the world may believe 
that you sent me. Notice, our witness to the dying world is about our unity. Read the next verse. What does it say? I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity. Everybody read one more time. So that the world may know you sent me. Friends, you know why this is serious? Because if we fight among ourselves, we will disgrace, dishonor the name of God, the name of Jesus. That's why unity is important in the church, in your family. That's why God hates divorce. That's why God hates church split. Please, take this unity issue seriously. God wants us to love one another. God wants us to be united and not divided. You know who wants to divide us? Can I tell you who? Look at this quotation. Yeah, you're right, Satan. Let's look at Charles Spurgeon. Everybody read. Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything which can divide saints from one another, he will delight in. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. You need to address anybody that causes disunity. If you know of somebody, it is your job to tell them, we don't do this in CCF. You got a problem with this leader, you talk to the leader. But don't gossip. Look, the Apostle Paul commands somebody, he was commanding them to do something serious about people causing disunity. For example, look at Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Everybody read this. This is a command. Reject a factious man. After first, second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Anybody that is causing division, you got to warn them. It is serious. If you ask me, the sign of a healthy church is unity. Now, I praise God for the last 37 years in CCF, we have very few cases of people causing church division. We have a few. The reason is these people, maybe they have not been discipled properly. They don't understand their actions. What do I mean? For example, I like you to notice in history years ago, there was a man by the name of John Wesley and George Whitfield. Okay, John Wesley was the founder of the Methodist movement. George Whitfield was a great preacher. Except there's a problem. They don't always agree in every issue. They all believe salvation is by grace in Christ. They believe that. But George Whitfield was more of a Calvinist. Have you heard the term Calvinist? You know, their focus is always on the sovereignty of God, predestination, election. John Wesley, his focus is more on human responsibility. So these two differ, but they're friends. Except their followers, in Tagalog, magaling manggatong. What is magaling manggatong sa Tagalog? Okay. That's no, no, English, English. Gatong. I know gatong, sul sul. Okay. What is that in English? They are add fuel to the fire. The, the disciple of George Whitfield asked Mr. Whitfield, Do you think John Wesley will go to heaven? Will you see John Wesley in heaven? You know what George Whitfield said? I don't think I will see him because he will be so close to Jesus and I will be so far away. Such are the leaders of the Christian movement years ago. They understand that they are to be united. When John Wesley was about to die, George Whitfield wrote him a nice letter. A crown awaits you. 
brother, I'm praying for you. But the amazing thing is, John Wesley survived. It was George Whitley, George Whitfield, who was younger, who died first. But before he died, he asked John Wesley to perform the funeral service. You know, John Wesley spoke at the funeral service of George Whitfield three times. Big congregation. Why? Because they understood unity is very important. This is where they got the idea of what? In essentials, everybody read. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. My professor taught me this years ago. Certain issues you die for. Certain issues you can debate. Certain issues you discuss. What does he mean? In essential issue, these are foundational. Who is Jesus? How do we go to heaven? Salvation is by good works or by grace alone. These are essential issues. What are non-essential issues? Example, when is Jesus coming again? When? Before rapture? During the rapture? Or after rapture? Those are what I call non-essential issues. What is essential is Jesus is coming again. Amen? Music. What kind of music should we have during worship service? Is that essential or non-essential? Not essential. Should you worship on a Friday if you're in the Middle East? Or should you worship on a Saturday night? Or should we worship on Sunday morning? Is that essential or non-essential? They're non-essential. A mature Christian will know what are the essentials and non-essentials. Somebody immature, everything is essential. If you are a young, immature Christian, everything is worth dying for. You know why? You are still young. The older I get in the faith, the more I realize only a few things are essential. Who is Jesus? What is sin? These are essential. Amen? So that's how you develop oneness. Last, how can you overcome this unity? Well, number one, you must learn to see people based on how God sees us, divine perspective. Number two, Go to the root problem. By the way, do you know the root problem? Did I tell you the root problem or not yet? You know what? I did not yet tell you, right? Okay, I will now tell you. The root problem is when you exalt men. I belong to Paul. I belong to Cephas. It's exaltation of man. It is self. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I want to show you that verse. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's read that together. And I, brethren... Could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh, infants. You are infant. The word flesh is from the word, from the Latin word carne, flesh. You are men of the flesh. You are controlled by yourself. You are like infant, like baby. I gave you milk to drink solid food. You were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. You are fleshly. Since there is jealousy, strife among you, are you not Fleshly, are you not walking like mere men? So the root problem of division is when you are controlled by yourself. You are not controlled by Jesus. You are like a baby Christian. You are full of self. And that, my friend, is where you need to teach people the root problem. The root problem is we want to be in control. We don't want to surrender our life to Jesus. So the opposite of being in self-control to be self-controlled, what is the solution? The solution is to focus on Jesus. Does it make sense? If the root problem is self-control, baby Christian, by the way, uh, I cannot speak to you as spiritual men, spiritual men controlled by the Holy Spirit versus men of the flesh, infants in Christ. How many of you have experience with children, infants? Raise your hand quickly. Infants. All right, infants. How do you describe infants? Characteristics of infants. Self-centered. When infant is hungry, baby wants food, what will baby do? Cry. Baby will not stop. Even if the mother has fever, if the father is busy, but the baby wants something, what will the baby do? Cry. Gets attention. Do you know some Christians are baby? They want attention. 
You know why? They don't know how to deny themselves. They don't know how to postpone gratification. They just want to satisfy whatever they feel like being satisfied. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't be a baby Christian. That's the root problem of division. It's self-control. You are hurt, so you fight. You are hurt, so you want attention. What's the solution as we close? Focus on Jesus. What do I mean? Look at 1 Corinthians, okay? Verse 14, Paul is not going to redirect their attention. He said, I thank God I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Crispus, he was the leader of the synagogue. Gaius, a patron of Paul. So that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanas. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. Don't be mistaken when you read this verse. Paul is not saying baptism is not important. But he's simply saying, look at your focus. It should not be on people. Okay? Baptism is important, but he wants you to know proper theology. Look at the next verses. What can we learn? Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul is now highlighting the importance of the gospel. He's saying baptism will not save you. But is baptism important? It is important because it is the evidence of salvation. Baptism does not save you. However, if you are saved, you will want to be baptized because it is the evidence of salvation. It is the act of obedience. Are we clear? Paul is saying the most important thing is not who baptized you. The most important thing is the gospel. That the cross, I came to preach the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel has to do with the cross of Christ. He died for you on the cross. The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. To those who are saved is the power of God. I will explain this next week. In the meantime, I'd like you to notice something. Paul is now telling us the solution to unity is simply Jesus. You focus on Jesus, focus on the gospel. Why? It is the power of God to save us from selfishness. What do I mean? Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16, about the gospel. Okay, please read. It is the power of God for salvation. You see, the gospel is about Jesus. It's the power of God to save you, not just from your sin, to save you from yourself. So, my friend, let me ask you a question. Is Christ centered, central in your life? If Christ is central in your life, you know what's going to happen? Whatever you do, you want to bring glory and honor to Him. If Christ is central in your life, you will understand this amazing verse. Will you please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9? What does it mean? Focus on Jesus. To focus on Jesus means you live a life wanting to please Him. Everybody read. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. In other words, your motive in life will now be to please Him. That is the gospel. The gospel message is all about Jesus, what He did for you, what He did for me. But it's all about pointing people to Jesus and you live a life pleasing to Him. A few months ago, somebody called me from Malaysia. He said, Pastor. He said, Peter, what should I do? There was a problem in his church. And he wanted to leave the church. Because his senior pastor is giving him a hard time. The senior pastor, I met the senior pastor, I met that church, and I understand his problem. But I told him, what happens when you leave the church? What happens? Your church will split. Some will follow you. I said, because of that, you should not leave the church. You know, by the grace of God, he decided not to leave the church. Why? Because he knew 
Whatever I do, I must bring honor, glory to God. My wife and I am reminded of a family whose husband was a womanizer. Now, the way he womanized is public. In Tagalog, walang hiya. Very bold. Very successful businessman. The wife came to my wife, a member of CCF. What should I do? By the grace of God, God spoke to her. I will not separate from my husband. Why? For the sake of honoring the Lord. For the sake of my children. Would you believe it? God did something. God made the husband develop cancer. When the husband had cancer, I visited him in medical city. And he stood up. He knew he was dying. And he said, Peter, you should look, look at Bala Verde. You know, I have many houses there. But I'm willing to give all of them up. Just to live longer. And then this is what hit me. He told my wife that God spoke to him. He said, you know how I wish I can be like Peter. He wanted to be like me. Apparently, he knows the Bible. But his life got discarrel. He began walking in the flesh. But the wife decided not to split. You know why? The wife knows this will bring dishonor to the name of the Lord. Guess what happened? This guy miraculously got an extension of life. But you know, he began coming to CCF. He began having Bible study. The day he died, guess what happened? His other family showed up in the wake service. You know what I call the surprise of all surprises. The wife has no idea. Yes, the wife knew he was a womanizer, but she had no idea. There were other families. But you know what the wife did? Because she understood. To, to live a Christ-centered life simply means this, all right? Everybody, I want you to read what Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35. Everybody read this. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, you love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples. If you what? So to be Christ-centered is to have the love of Christ. You see, to be Christ-centered means you will do everything to please Him. To be Christ-centered means you live based on the way He loves us. Love one another as I have loved you. You know what this wife did? She loved the other wife. She evangelized the other children. Guess what happened? The other wife, the other children, all came to Christ. Amen? Praise God. But my friend, life is about choices. Once you understand the importance of unity, and unity is impossible, until you are focused on Jesus. How many of you are familiar with the tuning fork? I'll show you a picture of a tuning fork. A tuning fork is what they do when you have an orchestra or when you want to tune any piano. You have a standard. Okay? The tuning fork, surprisingly, if you have 100 pianos, you have 100 sets of instruments, but if they're all tuned in accordance with the standard, the tuning fork, all the instruments will be in what? Harmony. They will all be together. My friend, our center, our central standard, the tuning for that we all must have is who? Jesus. If you are centered on Jesus, you are centered on Jesus, I'm centered on Jesus, what will happen to us? Automatic. We will be united. You know why? Every time there's a problem, you ask, what will Jesus do? My wife and I interviewed a couple who has been married for over 60 years. And my wife asked this couple, and I asked him, do you fight with your wife? And this is what shocked us. Peter, we don't fight. I said, what's your secret? Very simple. When my wife and I have disagreement, we simply say our desire is to please God. So we will pray together and we say, Lord, what do you want? I will ask God. My wife will ask God. And since we have the same Lord, same Jesus, 
There's no need to fight. You see, friends, you want to be united. You focus on Jesus. Don't focus on yourself. Every time you're about to make a decision, you ask Jesus, Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do? And if you do that by the grace of God, what will happen? There will be unity. True story as we close. You know, many years ago, do you know how CCF got started? CCF got started years ago because God impressed upon my heart to start a church, a New Testament church. I was the chairman of a church, of a book. I was the chairman of our church. It was another denomination. But I told them, I said, you know what? Three years from now, I will start a new church. Now, why did I want to start a new church? Because our old church was very traditional. Business people will never want to go back. I will only invite them once after the second time. I don't lie. So I said, look, three years from now, I will start a church. I want your blessing. Number two, I do not want you to follow me. And number three, I want to make sure I will put it far away from wherever we are meeting now. But I don't want to cause separation. I don't want to cause division. You know, by the grace of God, our church elder gave me permission. And that's how CCF got started. Today, by the grace of God, is CCF growing? You know why? Because we did not start CCF because we were angry at somebody or we don't like the church. No, no. We started CCF because the purpose is to honor Christ and to expand God's kingdom. Whatever you do today, okay? Whatever you do today, if you have the right motive, I want to honor God, I tell you, God will bless you. But if you leave a group, if you leave your D group because you're angry, my friend, you better ask yourself, am I bring, bringing unity or I, am I bringing disunity? Can I give you a bonus? Matthew chapter 5. Jesus tells us, blessed are the what? Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Are you a peacemaker? Let's be a peacemaker. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, I just thank you for this time. Thank you that we can gather together and be learning. We can learn how to resolve conflict. We can learn how to move forward. I pray for everybody here. Lord, any one of us here that are struggling with problems, we're struggling with relationships, will you teach us how to see people not based on who they are today, but what they can become? Secondly, help us to speak the truth in love and to tell them what's wrong in love and truth. And lastly, Lord, to help us focus our eyes upon you. Only you can transform us. Only you can give us the power. Only you can give us the love so that we can learn to be united with one another. Lord, I know you love unity. And I know there can be variety. There can be differences. But the most important is oneness in Christ. So bless everybody here. In your name we all pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. We'd love to stay connected with you. So make sure to subscribe to our podcast or connect with an Elevate group through our website. See you at our next podcast.